When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Hello and welcome to another edition of our Memory Lane podcast here on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network and Really pleased today to be joined by a guy who has a great story uh, in hockey and a huge uh, part of the Pittsburgh Penguins history. Troy Loney, a uh, member of the first two Stanley Cup championship teams more than 30 years ago. Troy, how are you today, sir? Well, I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to hearing your stories. Th- 30 years later, Troy, how proud are you? How much does it come up? Uh, being part of the the first Penguins championship teams? You know, I look back at it as uh, the years before, right? So there weren't too many of us that were here with the Penguins the years before we won the Cup. So people, you know, that haven't been around the Penguins that long, maybe don't quite appreciate the challenges and the struggles that the Penguins had. Mm -hmm. Not only as a, you know, not only as an NHL team uh, trying to prove their worth, but also as a sports team in Pittsburgh. So, Having gone through that and being part of the first part of that and seeing how the city and the NHL uh, has, has embraced the Penguins as a hockey team was very, very glad to be part of that. Oh, that's that's excellent. That's a good bit of what we're going to talk about. We'll talk about the Stanley Cup championship teams, of course, but the build-up to that, what how you got there in the 80s um, during the lean times and then with Mario Lemieux. We'll get to all that here in just a minute. I, I do like to start the podcast, Troy, uh, give people an idea about what you're doing now. What what are you up to these days? Yeah, so I retired from, well, my body retired a year before the rest of me did uh, <laughs> and uh, in 95, and I did a little bit of uh, TV and radio with the Penguins for a couple years, and uh, then went full on into the uh, into the business world. I, I right now I'm uh, executive vice president of a software as a service company based out of Boston called RX Sense, and uh, I run their sales and marketing team. So, little little bit different than what I was doing when I was playing for sure. Are you still recognized? People know the name. People like to talk to you about your hockey career. Yeah, you know, it's taken a little bit of older folks nowadays because, uh, you know, the next generation is going to come through. But, yeah, people see people see us in the community here in Pittsburgh, uh, you know, me and my fellow alumni, and they're always very gracious and 
and uh, very respectful and have some really good conversations. Well, one of the great things about your career is you were a homegrown talent, drafted by the Penguins, made your NHL debut with the Penguins, ended up winning the Penguins, uh, helping win the Penguins' first two Stanley Cups in 91-92. So can you just walk us back to you're a young man. It's 1982. You're drafted by the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, the 52nd pick overall. What did you think about Pittsburgh and the Penguins and, and your potential hockey future at that stage of your life? Well, I mean, number one, you're excited to get drafted. You know, that's that's a big deal. And it's not like today's world. In those days, like if you were not going to be a first-round pick, you did not go to the draft. And I think I think if I remember right, the, the draft was in Montreal that year. And um, I had uh, spent my junior career playing with Rich and Ron Sutter, the Sutter Twins. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was left winger, the you know center and, uh, and and right wing, and Rich got drafted in the first round by the Penguins, and you know I think that was a big part of me coming to Pittsburgh because they probably had been watching Rich quite a bit and saw me there, and uh, yeah, so I get drafted by the Penguins, excited, excited to be in the NHL, not quite sure what Pittsburgh was, you know, I had I had my hockey cards with Oris Kindertruck and uh, Ken Schinkel, and that was kind of my exposure to what I knew about the Pittsburgh Penguins in the National Hockey League, because in those, I lived, grew up in the Western Canada uh, area, and you got, you know, Montreal Canadiens and Toronto Maple Leafs, and that was it. That's the only teams you got to watch. So that was, that was my exposure to, uh, to the Penguins was through some hockey cards. So you work your way you know, through the minors. You, you debut with the Penguins during the 83-84 season. Uh, what did you eventually learn? about the Pittsburgh Penguins. You, you said you, you didn't know a whole lot about them. By the, once you got to Pittsburgh and, and began your NHL career, what did you find out about the city of Pittsburgh and the Penguins franchise? Well, I came in August or September, I guess it was right around Labor Day weekend, uh, for my first training camp. I learned that it is incredibly hotter and way more humid than the prairies in western Alberta. So my first training camp, and I think it has happened to be the year that the Takedas were flying around. It was <laughs> eye-opening to say the least, <laughs> for sure. And we, we, our camp was in Youngstown, or not Youngstown, in Johnstown, uh, Pennsylvania. And that rink, you know, we had fog in there all the time. And you know, I walk in, and there's two of the three Hanson brothers slash Carlson brothers from the Slapshot movie in that arena with the Penguins, you know, in Johnstown. It was uh, it was kind of surreal. So. It was definitely eye-opening for sure, um, but I could tell that the team, you know, the team had been struggling for years, just couldn't really find an identity, and I wasn't sure kind of how that would work. And you know, my first uh, NHL game that season, I think I, you know, probably had more people in our arena in my junior hockey team than we did in Pittsburgh at the time. <laughs> you know, it was whatever three thousand people, four thousand people, so that was a little bit of a uh, a surprise, but. Um, it was definitely something that the city was you could just feel liked the idea of the of a hockey team and what 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 it could do for the city and kind of the work ethic and all that kind of stuff so it was it was interesting to be part of that early in my career all right so as a huge sports movie buff i'm going to backtrack just a bit to slapshot and that era of hockey 70s and 80s and you, and the hansen brothers uh People don't necessarily know a whole lot about what 
professional hockey might have been like in the 70s. What was was Slapshot even remotely close, Troy? And and a couple of those Hanson guys, they played professional hockey and maybe all yeah. three of them did. So how 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 good of hockey players were those guys? Well, I played in the minors with Steve Carlson. So it really was two Carlsons and one Hanson. Mm-hmm, right. And uh and, you know that the 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 one of the Hansons still lives here in the, in the Pittsburgh area and, and runs the, the Robert Morris Arena. So it was, you know, Dave does. So it was, um, the hockey was closer than what people would think. You know, my first training camp, they had rookie, they had rookie games and you'd play rookie games against other, other NHL franchises, rookies. And, you know, there were, there was way more fighting in the first five minutes than there was goals in the whole game. So it was very similar to what people might might see in the movie Slapshot. Do you enjoy Slapshot all these years later? By the way, <clears throat> you know what? It's good. It's good to see it. I, I get a chuckle out of <laughs> two guys that I know in the movie because the you know, one Steve Carlson's claim to fame was, you know, he had one of the only speaking parts of the three of us, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so, but it is. It's fun, it's fun to go back and watch. Oh, that is fantastic. So you get to Pittsburgh, and you can tell that the city is hungry for uh, for hockey, but there had not been a lot of success. There was financial turmoil, and then something happened. Uh, so, some 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 big hockey player, you got the first draft pick. Uh, his name was Mario Lemieux. You get him. How quickly did you see things maybe change in Pittsburgh once Lemieux came on board, once everybody could see what a, what a talent he was and, and the interest level and everything kind of building? You know, you know the DeBartolo family owned us at the time. Denise DeBartolo was the owner, and, 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 her, and her dad was obviously part of that uh, equation. And you could see that getting a talent like that in Pittsburgh, regardless of who it is, outside of the football arena and a little bit in baseball, hadn't happened in hockey, to the way hockey you know, the way the average fan would think about it. So it generated a tremendous amount of excitement. You could see that, obviously, from playing with him, you could see right away he was something special, something different. But it did take the team a while to kind of figure out the pieces around it. How would that work? Who should we get? You know, what's the right mix? And at the time, we were probably, you know, they went through some phases when I was here. It was we're, We were a couple of young talents and then many older players that have been around at different teams. And so that mix wasn't working very good. So it took the organization a while to figure out the mix on the ice. And so how did they finally do that, Troy? What was, what were the missing pieces and, and just how everything, and look, the, the Bulls didn't win championships with Michael Jordan until, you know, deeper into his career. Is that a, is that a fair relative? I know completely different sports. Is that a relatively fair comparison? Well, I think the franchise has to figure out how to make that work. Right? Uh-huh. So, you know, and at the same time, there was salary disclosure going on. There was some stuff with the collective bargaining agreement, how players' contracts were working out. So it was this whole shift kind of change in the hockey world. Um, but but I would say, you know, and a lot of people will call me crazy for saying this, but being part of this, you know, we obviously went through a bunch of different coaches' changes, went through some different GM changes. You know, I would say the one GM that started to – have the team and the franchise think differently about the players and what we were was when Tony Esposito came here. We 
we did the simple things like, you know, the locker room we were in before, people would be amazed at, at kind of what it was. It was a cinder block room and just your average dining room chair that you'd find in any, you know, any diner across the country with little garbages in between. It really wasn't anything, there was nothing, you know, didn't really feel like a home because the ceilings were 30 feet tall. We were sharing it with the Pittsburgh Spirit, the indoor soccer team. And when Tony Esposito came here, he said, listen, we're going we're, we're gonna to treat you guys like your first class uh, NHL organization. We're going to change around the locker room. So those changes in attitude on how the organization looked at the players started to make the change. And then, and then obviously Craig Patrick coming after that and putting the pieces together on the ice and Bob Johnson, that, then, that, then we're gone, right? Once, once, once Craig and, and, and Bob Johnson started to put all that stuff together. So as the, the late 80s are, are playing out, you're seeing Mario develop into the superstar. The team is, is making whatever moves it's got to make. When did you kind of start to think, okay, maybe we'll have a shot at this at some point? We did, did, do, you re, do you recall a time frame or a year, a, a, a period well, where that entered your mind? You know, I can't remember uh, where, when it was when we made the playoffs. We hadn't made the playoffs in forever. We make the playoffs, play the Flyers in the first year or first round. And that was the year actually Tony Esposito was here. So maybe two years prior, something like that, before we won the Stanley Cup, you could see the pieces starting to come together. So, so that piece, you could see that coming. Now, when Craig got here and started to really put a lot of the, you know, outside of of Mario, really, you know, then we start to put the pieces together with Ron Francis, uh, you know, uh, old Samuelson, uh, we get Taglianetti, Barrasso comes into the mix, um, you know, Kevin Stevens starts to come into the player, he is, we get Larry Murphy, we surround it with Gordon Roberts, you know, Bob Erie, and, and Bob Erie and Phil Bork and myself saw this whole thing come through the organization, you know, Yager shows up as a talent. Sean McEachern comes in. I mean, you start to think about the pieces and how quickly they came together. You know, uh, it became it became evident that we had something unique here. But until you win, right? Until you win in the playoffs, you don't. You you, you think you can win, but but once you start having success in the playoffs, and everybody started to play the way that you know Craig Patrick and Bob Johnson had envisioned, that's when you knew. Yeah, this is something special. And I didn't mention, you know, think about the other guy. I didn't mention Brian Trotche, the leadership that he brought. Yuri uh, Herdina, the things that he could bring. Kevin Stevens, Mark Recchi. I mean, you go on and on. It was it was impressive. Now, we hear all the time, Troy, uh, hockey fans, the, the playoffs, hockey playoffs are the toughest playoffs, the, the, the biggest grind. From your personal experience as a guy who went through it, why is that? Why are the NHL playoffs the, 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 the biggest and most difficult grind? Well, the games are close together, number one. I mean, they've, they've started to come back close together again. You know, we were playing every other day um, with travel, and it wasn't travel as in today's world travel. It was commercial travel, so you're up early and, you know, getting on the first plane and getting in the city. And So so really all you're doing during the playoffs is you're eating you know, you eat, you play, and you sleep, and you eat, and you play, and you sleep. So it's it's a lot of games over a short period of time, and it just is it's physically demanding. It's a you know the emotions are higher, the games are more important, obviously. Block shots, uh, 
start to become more important. Guys start to do things that they aren't necessarily in their, I would call, hockey nature, whether it be the offensive guys coming back and blocking shots defensively, or maybe it's the defensive guys, you know, chipping in a goal here and there. So that makes it all uh, a lot to do physically. And then the emotional, I mean, you know, my, I always had this opinion. If you're going to win a Stanley Cup, you have to have an emotional high. Your team has got to tap into that emotion to win. If you don't, you're completely, you know, you're you're 100% reliant then upon skill, and skill is great, but emotion and skill make you better. All right, so you barely missed the playoffs by, I believe, a point in 89-90. So when you enter the 90-91 season, are people thinking – Stanley Cup championship, Troy. Is that something no, that's even a realistic possibility in your minds? No. No, you're thinking, hey, we made the playoffs. Let's get back to the playoffs. You know, um, and, you know and, and during that season, you know, if I, my memory serves me correct, we were not playing very well for the first uh, half of the season when Bob Johnson was here. We were kind of up and down, and, you know, it was such a different dynamic in 1991. Bob was such a positive coach. So, you know, uh, you know you're kind of used to the coaching in those days is, you know, beat you, push you down, yell at you, and repeat, right? <laughs> I was a little bit of that donkey theory, I guess they would call it. And so Bob comes in with this great positive attitude. I know we lost 7-1, but look at those five great things we did during the game. You know, it's just a way different way of approaching things. So it took us a while to kind of buy into that. And then, and then we, you know, Craig made some really astute moves kind of, you know, midway through that season that started to put a lot of different pieces. We started to win. Um, but the unknowns were still there until you get into the playoffs. Team finished 41-33-6. Uh, and six. So a good season, not not necessarily a great season, but as the season's winding down and you're going, you're, you're heading into the playoffs – then was there a feeling, Troy? Was there was did, did do you recall any type of moment or uh, any any type of scenario within the guys on the team of hey, you know maybe we could make a pretty deep run here? Well, I mean we had two guys again. I'm going by memory, but two guys that had won Stanley Cups on our roster. We had Brian Trache and Coffee, and those two kept saying, "Hey guys, we're we got something pretty unique here." And, but the rest of us, we haven't gone through it. We did you believe that? Really, did you believe them? Well, Trache's a pretty strong, willful guy. Coffee's very confident in, in the way he played what he did. So, you know, as a player, you want to believe because they're the guys that have been there and have been through it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you still got to you still got to win that first series, right? That's that's the monkey off of all of our backs if we can win the first series. All right. So you do. You keep on winning. Uh, and then, kind of fast forward, you end up capturing the first Stanley Cup championship in Penguins history. What is your favorite memory of either the march all the way through, um, hoisting the cup? Do you, do you have something, that, a, a memory, a detail that, that really sticks out to you all these years later? You know, the last, what, you know, we were, we were, I can't remember the final score in the Minnesota game, but we were up 7-1 or 7-2 or whatever it was. The clock just couldn't go fast enough. Right, like, yep. We were all like, you know, no offsides, no icings, let's just get this thing over with and let's get, you know, let's celebrate. So the last minute or two on the bench was just amazing because it was going to happen. We knew it was going to happen. And just that countdown 
for the last few seconds and then winning it and getting on the ice. I, I, I remember that vividly. And then, you know, coming back to Pittsburgh on the plane was, was a great celebration. And then going into the airport and coming out of the gate when in those days everyone could get to anywhere in an airport and, and, and seeing the amount of people that were there, that was truly special because that was not – there were more people there probably at the gate than the first NHL game I played with. I played out here in Pittsburgh. And so at this point, I mean, now we're talking the ultimate fruition for the hockey fans in Pittsburgh. And you talked about earlier that you knew that they, they were hungry, they wanted, they, they wanted to enjoy good hockey. So now that you're at, on top of the world, what was it like being in the city at that point? Oh, it was, it was fantastic because now, you know, we were, you know, at the time I'd say, say we were sport number three. We're starting to tap on sport number two. The Pirates are pretty good at the time as well during those years with Benin and Bonds. But the city just glommed onto us. It was it, the fans all noticed, knew who you were, the 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 excitement of winning a championship because that's what Pittsburghers expect and should expect from their sporting franchises. It was it was so satisfying to be part of that zero to top of the mountain uh, experience during my career. So that was, that was special. And just, you know, we ran around the city with the cup and did some really cool stuff with it with fans. You know, I took it out in those days. It didn't come with a handle or anything. And I took it out to show my neighbor across the street. Uh, I was living in uh, the mountain Lebanon area at the time. And, you know, two hours later, I ended up back in my yard because people called people who saw people who came out of the yard, who came out of this yard. And all of a sudden there's like 500 people you know, standing in my front yard. It was uh, it was really cool. Well, that's I, I was actually the very next thing I was going to ask you is what you may have done personally with the cup, but it, was it overwhelming that everybody wanted to see it? Oh yeah, and it, you know, you know, you get think think of this. So the the we win it the first year. I you could you could ask for the cup, right? So I asked for the cup to take it back to my hometown, small town, thousand people, middle of Alberta. They ship it in a in a crate that came to the Calgary airport. I go to pick it up with my dad and my brothers, and we have it in the back of my dad's half ton, sharing it with my whole city or my whole town for a weekend as we did a golf tournament and raised some money for some really cool stuff and that. But it was just to see my old neighbor who lived and breathed hockey and had a son drafted by the Canadians around the Stanley Cup and having a chance to drink out of it. And then you come to Pittsburgh where people are really trying to understand what is this hockey, this Stanley Cup thing, and what do you mean you can have access to it? What do you mean it's kind of shared with everybody? Um, it, was, it was fun. Oh, that is, that's spectacular. That's a spectacular story. You come back the next year, you do the whole darn thing all over again. So I asked you going into the 90-91 season, did you feel like uh, you were going to win the Stanley Cup? And you said no. But going into the 91-92 season, how strong of a feeling might have might there have been that you could repeat? Very strong, right? Because you've done it. The, the, the cast of characters didn't change that much. Obviously, a few guys moved on. Um, but the core of, uh, of the belief is still there with the players. You know, and then we, you know, I'm sure you're going to walk me through this, but we didn't we didn't play very well. We were a little disjointed. I mean, it's 
it's a long season, number one. You start in September. You you know, we ended whatever it was, second week of June, the first year. You're back on the ice in September. So it, it's it's a very short time to kind of mentally and physically reset. Um, you know, we struggle a little bit during that season. And, and you know, Craig, there was great uh, wisdom as the GM said, hey, we're going to shake this up a little bit. Made some Made some deals that were definitely not easy deals to make. And uh, it it reinvigorated our team again. You know, I can't remember when we we got Tocket and, and Shell Samuelson and, and Kenny Riggett, but out somewhere mid to late in the season, I think. So you're a homegrown Pittsburgh Penguin talent, drafted, come up through the organization. What what does that part mean to you, Troy? The fact that you you were there through through all of that, to the ups, the downs, missing the playoffs, being in a city where. You know, hockey wasn't necessarily the biggest thing in the world then, and and, and so then you you're able to enjoy all of that and get to the pinnacle. Well, I mean, there's times obviously when you're going through that, especially as a young player. Like I, I can't remember, I counted up one time, but I was up and down between the minors, which was in Baltimore, uh, EHL, and Pittsburgh, something like 15 times in four years. Like it was crazy. Right? I was just up and down and up and down and up and down. And there's times in there where you kind of go, gosh, I'd like to get somewhere with the organization a little more stable, right? But to, to have gone through all that and the team have, you know, obviously believed in something in me and wanted to keep me around. And then to see it go all the way to, to winning and being part of that with, you know, a very select few guys. I mean, I mean, Phil, I think was, I can't remember Phil Bork if he was a draft or we got him as a free agent maybe signing. You know, uh, Bob Erie was the other one. Bob was drafted the year after me. It's pretty special to have at least some of, you know, Mario, obviously. Um, the guys that were there kind of through the lean times and hadn't seen hadn't seen the success uh, immediately, that was, that was special. Awesome. All right, so I want to talk about uh, the end of your career as well uh, with all of those great memories with the Penguins. You were – Part of the very first Mighty Ducks of Anaheim team, 1993. You were taken in the uh, in the expansion draft, I believe. What did you know about the Anaheim Mighty Ducks at that point, other other than the movie? I mean, what what was the feeling like going out and playing there for a, for a, uh, an NHL team owned by Disney? Well, you know, it was. I, I will say this just to wrap up my last year at the Penguins. The year that we that we won the Presidents Cup and lost in the second round of the Islanders, that was the best team I had ever played. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. We we were by far the best team. So, so was there disappointment? That, I've heard this, these oh, stories as well. How much of the the disappointment factor was there? Massive, because because the expectation level was high. You know, I truly believe we had a hard time because we won the Presidents Trophy. We won 17 games in a row. We tapped, I, I say we tapped into our emotional reserves too much and probably played our stars too much during that period because we, you have to find the next gear in the playoffs, and we, we just couldn't seem to find the next gear in the playoffs. So extremely disappointing, and it was obvious to me, you know, I, if we didn't win, even if we won, I was probably going to be left available in the expansion draft, and Florida Panthers were there were two teams that year, Florida Panthers and Anaheim. So, you know, either way, I was going somewhere sunny, which which was nice to know. Um, but I didn't know anything, you know, obviously other than playing in L.A., playing some games out there. Didn't know much about, you know, the franchise, what it was going to be. Knew it was owned by Disney. Knew the movie. You know, get drafted. They, they bring us all out there. Michael Eisner, who's the CEO of Disney, is a big hockey fan. He's just telling us, 
kind of how they ended up in the, in this in this world and you know asked us what we all thought about the name of the team and you know we were all standing around together you know many of the guys are coming from Montreal Canadiens Boston Bruins Toronto Maple Leafs you know I, and and I'm coming from the Pittsburgh Penguins so moving to be a duck from a penguin is not that big of a change <laughs> as far as a pure name if you think about it so I said some wise remark to him, but it was, uh, I tell you, it, 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 what I learned when I was there was that, you know, for the Disney organization, we were just a product on the ice and the marketing, the, the marketing that could be done with the product on the ice was real obvious. So it was a way different way of thinking about, uh, I'm a, I'm a professional hockey player versus now I'm starting to feel like I'm somewhere Somewhere between there and an entertainer, that part was kind of interesting to to observe. Well, you were the captain of the team. I think you had a pretty good team. I, 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 you won 35, 37 games, give or take, as an expansion team, which was a, a pretty decent record at that point. But what was the feeling like for the guys on the team? Was there any, I don't know if animosity is the right word, but was there a level of uncomfortability because you're big, tough hockey players and now kind of you're part of just a, 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 a team that's named after a Disney movie. You know, I don't think, I, I think everyone embraced the opportunity that we all had because many of the players were similar to me. We were playing on third, fourth line somewhere in an organization, um, you know, looking to see if there was another way that we could, our games could change or go back to the way we were when we were a little bit younger. I think everyone had that same kind of sentiment coming in understanding that, that Disney gave us that opportunity, and they treated us very, very well. They, they really did. The, the pond at the time, the arena was, was incredible. They treated our families well. You know, we had, we had passes to the Disneyland Park, and, I mean, it was, it was, it was first class uh, they treated us. The interesting thing is there were some nuances to it. You would score a goal, and they would, on the Jumbotron, they would show, they would show the, you know, the replay of the goal, and, after you put the puck in the net, Tinkerbell would come around from the top of the thing and put a little, you know, thing with her wand, and you'd have uh, pixie dust on you. You know, so <laughs> it, was, it was a little different in that regard, for sure. All right. The, the last thing I wanted to ask you about, Troy, uh, just a, a fantastic career, and you got to experience a lot of it with Mario Lemieux uh, and certainly his uh, his impact uh, on Pittsburgh on the ice, off the ice, Helping save the franchise as an owner, what is what is your takeaway from Mario Lemieux's impact, totality wise, on the Pittsburgh Penguins? Well, you know where where is the team if he doesn't show up in this equation somewhere, right? I mean, it just just I can't even you know we're not here. Hundred percent, I'm not part of Pittsburgh. I'm not living here. There's probably not a team in the Pittsburgh area. He was such a gifted talent that understood the game tremendously well. That and that people don't realize all the pain he played through. He played through a tremendous amount of pain. He did things with whether it was his with his back, you know, well documented his back. The year he broke his hand in the playoffs, he did things that that players in any sports don't do, being that injured. So the impact that he had me personally, like, what can I complain about? You know, I have a mere, you know, whatever, going into the first year when I, I only tore my ACL. I had it reconstructed. And I'm looking at this guy, what he's going through. And I think the other players seeing that 
pushed us all to a different level of of, of participation, uh, camaraderie, engagement, and bewilderment of watching Mario go through this. And then to see what he did as an owner and and oh. saving the franchise that way again, there there would be no Pittsburgh Penguins without all of that. Yeah, and you know, it's I I I, I know Mario well enough to know if you said to him, hey. Gosh, I bet you had always planned on being an owner. The word no would have came out very quickly. Right? Mm-hmm. It just wasn't. He's a very private person. Um, obviously, being in ownership has, has changed, uh, you know, the way his personality uh, would be with the public because that was just part of his deal. And his ability to be able to do that and thrive in that, it's impressive. He's a, he's a good, great person, obviously a smart businessman. And I wish nothing but the best for him in the future. Oh, fantastic story, Troy. Those are those are sensational. Uh, cannot thank you enough for uh, walking down memory lane with us with the with the Cup championships. Do you, do you still get to see the Penguins much? Or are you involved with the with the franchise in in, in many ways? Um, on the alumni, so we do alumni uh, gatherings together and events. The Penguins are gracious enough to ask us to come come around to and I, I get down to my you know six games a year uh, you know my wife loves to go to the games and I've got uh, uh, a kid and grandkids that come back into the area quite often so I like to try to show them there and, and then remind them this wasn't like this <laughs> when it was across the street it was a little different and I missed the old arena I loved playing in the old igloo I, it was a great place to play all right, fantastic. That's sensational. I cannot thank you enough for uh, for sharing those stories, Troy. Just a, a remarkable career, and uh, congratulations on all your success. Thank you so much. Thank you. 